0: Welcome to the Language for Leading podcast with the founder and CEO of the Business of Leading, Incorporated, Julian Sturton. Since the early 1990s, Julian has equipped leaders from across the globe with an operating system and real world set of tools that have improved relationships on all levels. And the work has meant real success in business and life for so many. Hello, my name is Jordan Rich and today Julian and I welcome another thought leader, Anthony J. Madaluna whose career with Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company, spanned more than 40 years. He served as president of Pfizer's Global Supply, PGS, from 2011 through 2016. He was also executive vice president of Pfizer Incorporated and a member of the executive leadership team. He retired from there in 2017. Tony's here to talk with us about the strengthening alliance between Russia and China and the impact on our world. Julian, as always, we let you lead off.
1: What does the world look like with a strengthening China-Russia alliance? And the other headlines that we've been interviewing people with are what takes place between now, the past, and what lies ahead, otherwise known as the future. Instead of the world hearing their typical media terminology or interpretation around the word "trust," we've got the word stand. Instead of the word hearing you can you can now take the word listening you can see that there's a difference between teaching and learning response and reacting thoughts and thinking they go on and on and on right tony as you and i spent all of these decades uh appraising uh not so much the language of leading but appraising one's ability to not just hear what one is used to hearing. So in other words, if we broadcast it, let's suppose uh, we broadcast it, what does the world look like with a strengthening China-Russian alliance? Uh, We don't want this to be a sort of a, a lecture from Tony Madaluna and Julian Stern. It's as if it's more like an exploration, more like an inquiry, because I don't think other than Treating this kind of way of hearing what does the world look like with a strengthening China-Russia alliance? It's gonna push people into well, I've heard that before, rather than encouraging the listeners to be able to respond as far as what they would like to see happen. So I think Tony, you and I can get into that discussion
2: i mean to put it in the context of the language for leading this whole china and russia has heated up discussion the alliance has been there loose loose for years since the 50s probably it's that's now heated up more recently uh in, in the context of language for leading it's it's gonna really when people hear it listen to it and try to interpret it they're, the first place they're going to go is their background conversations like like we've always talked about and so they're going to come kind of compare in their own head what you know what does that mean in in their head and then really not you know maybe take a lot of opinions from different media or whatever but not really uh try to distinguish what's in their head to you know to probably what could be or what's possible because there are a lot of possibilities out of a uh, china russia alliance uh they can be negative or they can be positive i mean I, i think The view right now is just more negative than positive. So the interesting thing is, you know, they talked about Russia. You know, Russia's kind of been the. uh, I I wrote a note down that basically Russia's kind of been the uh, serious rival, where you know China. I mean, China rather has been the serious rival, and Russia has been a serious nuisance. And that you know, so that's 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 one background conversation. Another one is Russia is coming in like a hurricane. You know it's coming. You can see it coming. China, on the other hand, comes in like climate change. You know, I've had a lot of dealings with different places, Singapore in particular, but a lot of dealings in China in my work You know, with Pfizer and pharmaceutical manufacturing. We can get into that as a separate topic because that's another issue with China. But the, the issue with China is, and, and Singapore has the same kind of, Kind of thing because we're involved there so they're similar they don't think next year next quarter they have a long-term plan so they have a 2030 strategy they had a 2050 strategy and you know they're they're trying to unify their own culture internally they're trying to be more like a you know even though they're communist they're trying to be more capitalist uh in terms of you know what they're doing with their state-owned companies we'll see what happens there they're trying to be environmentalists which I think is interesting and 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 going back to climate change, they're trying to you know deal with that. I mean, we we, you know we went over to China and we we built a new plant and we had a big opening ceremony. It was in uh, uh, Suzhou and we built it uh, to be lead certified to be very environmentally conscious. And we sat down with the mayor and we sat down with the government officials and they said, "Oh yeah, that's our goal too." You know, we're you know different impressions of China and where it's headed. So for me. This, this whole China China is more of a concern in terms of what they want to be because they're going to get there and then I remember even being there back in well, probably five six seven years ago and their their goal was and they they're doing it this internal thing to try to create a middle class because they recognized that they've created you know sort of on the coast of China with all the industry it's very much of a sort of a as upper class as you can get in China when you go there it's pretty Pretty modern looking, and then you, you also look back in, in in the inner inner parts of the country where there's all kinds of things going on, and it's not that way. So they they recognize that from that standpoint. So a lot a lot to this relationship has to do with people's understanding of it. I mean, with Russia, it's, it's in your face. I mean, you know, so it's what you see is what you get, and you know, they're coming at their their world dominance in a in a military fashion or they're whatever trying to get the ussr back where china is just more subtle i mean they've they've taken a lot of industry away from the united states willingly we've given it to them because you know back in back in the day when i my first trip there was 2006. you know you had to either play in china because of what was happening here in the us and especially in pharmaceutical manufacturing of the generic drugs not so much the innovative drugs but or you, if you didn't play, you 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 know you had a you had a cost problem, so so they kind of lured us in, and now the opposite has happened. So if you stay on pharma manufacturing, they got so strong that basically uh, you know they're they're the world leaders in antibiotic production for not the finished drug form, but you the, uh, know the, the the precursors and the, and the actives that we need, uh, ibuprofen, all the big things that we have. So so anyway. I can go on and on about what. Sure. Sort of stick to the Russia-China thing.
1: Well, very much so, because I'm glad you've said what you've said. Because having had the experience you had in being responsible for the manufacturing of one of the biggest and most well-known corporations, you had to actually think both locally in other words, nationally, whether it's China or Singapore, but you couldn't restrict yourself, could you, to just seeing it locally. You had to have a sort of a, a big picture hat on your shoulders all the time, juggling with all the variable international interpretations of what Tony Madaluna, being head of manufacturing, had to be responsible for. Right, You couldn't just react to the current situations and the current states of what was going on, whether it's a crisis of all kinds of considerations, you couldn't just react. Whereas I say that there's a big difference between reacting and being responsible and reacting when you just react to something. And I'd like to throw this out to you, Tony, and to Jordan. When you react to something, do you have a kind of similar control over the circumstances as distinct from being able to respond.
2: Reaction is, you know, it's like on the golf course, you know. You see the ball and you and you you know your your swing is almost like a reaction that's in your head, it's auto, auto, autonoma, it's automatic, you know, and you're reacting and you're looking at the target and you're hitting the ball. You know, where responding would be the really thinking, visualizing, if you take the golf analogy or any other sports analogy what you want to happen. And and the responding allows you to, to really view what's inside your, your head and, and respond to that, as opposed to just reacting to what's your background conversation.
1: That's is. a good I point. It. I love the analogy because even though I don't play golf, I watch it a lot. But you're picking on something is very interesting. If you hit the ball into the woods, then you've got to react immediately and almost spontaneously in that moment, whereas responding may require, as you pointed out, it may require you to think about your game plan and whether you've got a strategy, whether you planned to win the game.
0: I'll jump in here and really congratulate Tony for making the point that it's a different mindset. It's not the... the short game, it's the long game. And one would think we would have learned that with the attacks on 9-11 and the philosophy of people like Osama bin Laden at the time, their time frame is so different than ours, say the Western time frame. And it's all about listening, isn't it, Tony? And really going to bat to figure out what people really intend and what they really mean. And you wonder if our leaders spend any time listening to the think tankers or if they just... Neglect to right. take their advice. Well, I mean, the,
2: I mean, the problem. Well, the political problem and the corporate problem in the United States is that you know there's there's term limits, term limits in you know in, in terms of political, but there's also term limits in terms of corporate. I mean, so for corporate corporations, they're looking they their shareholders, and they you know obviously the shareholders own the company, and they're looking at quarterly, and you know results, and you know projecting year end results. It's kind of short term, and you know, and a lot of the actions sometimes are driven short term. And certainly in, in the political end, they're delivered, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of, I guess, dictated by the short term because somebody wants to get reelected. So, and, and people, the way it works here, the, the terms are pretty short. When you have a, you know, Singapore was a benign dictatorship. Obviously China has the whole communist party and Xi Jinping has been there for a while. He seems fairly entrenched with, you know, you'll see if that that holds. But it's more of a long term. The Communist Party and that that whole machine can think long term and and react long term. There's no one voting them out in the next week. Uh, you know, the, the the corporate shareholders aren't saying, "Well, wait a minute. You know, these, you know, we're not making enough money in China. What are you doing? We're going to pull our money out." It just doesn't work that way in China. So, you know, part of our problem is is driven by the you know our system and the and the way we look at things. So so our our, our background conversations as a nation are different, you know, from that standpoint, if you want to say it that way.
0: I have one question to pose to both of you, and that is, are we not governed so often and too often by fear, even when it comes to enemies, quote unquote, like Russia and China? What we've seen in the Ukraine war is that Russia is not the powerful, almighty army that we suspected. And the same thing with China, they're having demographic issues, economic issues, they're in debt as as high as ours, if not higher in some cases. And they've got a lot of issues, uh, even with their military. They don't command the seas as we do. So is it fear that governs the decision-making? And is that an issue? Julian, you want to take that one?
1: Yeah, I love that point, because when you think of the reaction to the population in Russia, there's been millions of people running out of Russia because they don't understand the term free enterprise, where you can respond in a country that is propagating free enterprise, and it's allowing us to actually respond with free enterprise. So fear and freedom are a conflict, especially if you've been ruled by the governance of communism in China and Russia. And I think that was really, the spark plug that allowed us to to actually recognize in a bigger picture the 9-11 situation. When you're a terrorist, you're actually dictating to your, not just your adversaries, but you're dictating to even people who you think are on your side. So Osama bin Laden eventually became an adversary for Saudi Arabia. If you look at all of this fighting and conflict, of course, we haven't resolved and got to the very source of conflict. Now, I think, Tony, you brought a very interesting matter, which is this, this dividing line between politics and commercial enterprise. China doesn't want to get involved with the Russian war. Because China's trying to focus on their economy, and having a global war isn't a good fit for Xi Jinping, who's trying to convince his stakeholders, otherwise his nation, that he's trying to take care of their commerce and financial enterprise. In that they don't have free enterprise; it's an enterprise that's kind of like a little bit screwed. So we're still engaging with differentiating between political governance and commercial enterprise. I think that's been going on for hundreds of years. I was trying to figure out how far back can you go in the history of Russia to find out where there's been any sniffling or way that actually people can experience so-called democracy. We're still in the United States of America in a learning phase. We haven't got it right yet. And I don't think democracy, democracy to me is a bit like gravity. It's not my democracy or your democracy. It's something that we've got to fully understand on a global scale. Otherwise, the local interpretation will get us into trouble. Just turn on the news last night, and you find out that Mr. DeSantis in Florida What did he call the the, the Ukrainian thing? A skirmish? (laughs) I mean, that's that's frightening. He's losing large members of the Republican Party. So I don't know who people are supposed to vote for or even what we're supposed to vote for. We've got the who am I going to vote for? But then we've got to figure out, well, what's at stake when I vote for this particular politician, which brings it back to Tony, your particular. Important dividing but, line between
2: politics. We, can we go, and- yeah, can we go back to, to Jordan's question on fear? So, but yeah, from a different yeah. perspective, I, w- I want to take his question from the perspective of United States, the people in the United States. So, so why is where's is the fear there? What what is this China, Russia now heat heated up or or heating? You know, getting getting even stronger alliance look like? Now, I think the person on the street, the first thing they're going to tell you is either one of them could press a button right? They're, they're strong nuclear powers. So, you know, that, that, that overhanging fear of this World War III. You know, if you talk about politics, Trump the other day in one of his speeches said, I'm the only one that can prevent, prevent World War III. You know, so, you know, you know, that was one of the statements he made in one of his rallies. But so that, so he's playing to that fear, you know, in, in, you know politically. But the bottom line is, it, it's a concern you know, no one wants to press that button because they realize that if they press the button. You know, this, you know, this whole, it's always been the theory of mutual destruction. But now you've got this heated up, you know, alliance. So so, so what does that really mean? You know, Russia, Russia is going to react probably more than, and, and China is going to respond. So back into your terminology. I mean, so Russia reacts. I mean, you go in, they come back. What do they, you know, they just dumped fuel on a drone and knocked one of our 50 million dollar drones you know out of the air yesterday right they, they, they clipped the wing on it and, and you know and, and it, what are we doing to react are we going to react or are we going to respond to that you know it's it's a it's a very delicate balance between this reacting and responding because you know, the responding is is better because it's well thought but at, at the end of the day you you'll respond with i I'll, I'll use your words you'll respond with a reaction. But it'll be a sort of a well-thought reaction, you know, from the standpoint of just you know reacting and 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 seeing what happens. So fear is a big is a big issue, right? It, it, yeah. From the United States standpoint.
1: Well, we all remember the FDR inaugural address. Right. it's not so much fear that matters, it's the fear of fear. I'm taking that as an example because I've really looked at uh, these two div- dimensions. One is we have our own conversation we're having with ourselves. And I think the audience around the world can understand this. We're always having a conversation with ourselves inside of our heads. Then we've got the external conversation. I think that's what FDR was talking about when he said, Yeah, we all experience fears like a personal uh, state of mind. Then you've got the external fear and that's i think what FDR was talking about and it comes down to the word control yeah and do we have any control over the fears that are going on in the population of china do we have any control over fears with the population in russia and it then reflects back on ourselves doesn't it
0: when you learn and research and do a little bit of digging as tony has done yeah, You realize that the tiger might be more paper than real. In other words, it, it doesn't make it any easier that Russia and China are allied or getting closer, but they've got their share of problems, too. We don't seem to think that the other side is united in all fronts. We seem to believe the other side is totally united, totally together, that they're just an army of steel waiting to pounce, when in reality, they've got a lot of issues that we can take advantage of, even yeah i mean
2: that's our background conversation we look at him and said well wow, it's russia it's china i mean look at this i mean they're you know they're going to come there to get together they're going to they're going to rule the earth that could be a background conversation but absolutely i mean xi jinping you know if he goes to, you mentioned before he doesn't want to go to war he's trying to unite his own company his own country rather and and basically you know pull it together even though it's this communist party he could still get voted out i mean he's by his own party if he goes too far in one direction and, and, and lose hold of that power, which I don't think he wants to. And then, you know, in Russia, I mean, with Vladimir Putin, you don't know where his head is. I mean, you know, it's he he's he's driven on this, let's get back to the USSR and we're gonna we're gonna take it over. And he and he, he just goes in guns blazing literally and you know let's see you know let's, let's let's just go into this and and then he ran into a problem too because I think what we found out from this you know from our fear well we thought Russia was this almighty almighty uh, powerful military uh country they're getting beaten down by a very small country that's being supported by you know the rest of the world and all and but they had they have the drive they've taken their stand so Ukraine has taken a stand. And that shows you from your language you know language for leading the power of taking a stand i mean that's basically they they're winning or they're 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 gaining because of the stand they've taken and they've their constitution you know that they, they've constituted that and so they're, they're using they're using all they can use and, and going around and, and getting everybody's help where they can get it to push back russia so and, and that's 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 also showing us what's going on but but, but in the case of, of china and military they have been building things around they've built islands in the you know the sea of china to kind of protect themselves that's been going on for years we just let it happen uh, you know that, that whole to get to china with, with you know with your navy you're gonna have to go through a few new military bases on the way and this threat of taiwan so you know taiwan is a huge you know taiwan is a democracy kind of like you know when they split taiwan and china one was stayed, you know, communist, and the other one came this, you know, became this democracy, and and we can t- leave Hong Kong out of it, but Hong Kong was part of that. Both Hong Kong and Taiwan are very successful countries. I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the GDP of Taiwan is, but you know, we get a lot of stuff out of Taiwan, and we and and, and Hong Kong was a center of commerce, commerce and banking. Now that you know that's it's changed, but they they still are. There's still companies that are that are based there, and you know. And, and working through Hong Kong, but the bottom line is China has to deal with that. They know they need a Taiwan. They need what Taiwan has. They, they I think, they would like to have more of that in their country, which kind of goes opposite to when when the country split, you know, years ago. So that's it's just very it's very complicated. But the fact is, and to Jordan's point, our fears are you know you know may drive us to react as opposed to respond.
1: Yeah, it's good that you're bringing that up uh, from John's perspective and from yours, Tony, which takes the whole idea of fear and freedom and what it is we're trying to protect, which can go back for hundreds of thousands of years as far as the term territory. And we're still in that kind of argument as to, who belongs to which territory, whether it's Taiwan or whether it's the whole of Africa that's now being uh, uh, introduced to a certain level of politics from China. And how do we have control over those kind of misrepresentations of the kind of governance that has been told many, many years, even going back to Marxism or Nazism? Uh, totalitarianism doesn't work, whether you're an extreme democrat of any extreme, or whether you're extreme communist, or whether you're extreme dictatorship, as it's proven. And going far back to the, the the time when the British Empire was trying to be bigger than the little piece of land called the British Isles, and it it over sounded its territory. So of course, it made sense. Not that we've got the term constitution really handled, but it seemed to be like a good idea when the 29 founding fathers got together and decided, well, we can't continue to let this British empire tell us how to run our economy in the taxing situation. And then you had the civil war, the racism of which Britain was still involved. Yeah. So, so we we we're still trying to figure out the word democracy, whether it's Chinese interpretation because they don't want to be dictated by the, the United States. Russia certainly doesn't want to be dictated, and you've got this kind of implosion going on in all of these three parts of the the global well, territory.
2: But hold that thought. Let's bring it back to the language for leading, which you and I. Been talking about in different forms for over 20 years, right? So, so, so the bottom line to, to me, in the, in, the, in the language of leading, it, if it was in place, so let's say that we waved the magic wand and everybody understood the language for leading, what would what, what would happen? Well, you'd you'd end up with this probably eliminating this issue, which is the key issue, is people taking sides. I mean, so you're you're what you're talking about is everybody's got their side to take. So and I'm 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 here. I'm not giving this up in the United States. Russia saying, well, we want our you know territory back. We want to become the USSR. China says we want to be the world number one superpower, and we were, we're going to do this by developing our internal economy, whatever. So there's 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 more to it than that. If you look at the big picture, you know, can you ever get that? Is that is that sort of a utopian thought that the whole world, could, you know, is that can get together and not take sides and actually respond and think? I mean, we've also talked about the development of the brain over the years, which I learned from you, you know, about not necessarily uh, having that frontal cortex from, you know, the times of the caveman where they were just responding to threats. You know, who there's an animal. I better not go back there anymore. I can remember that. And actually, I've, I've done some reading on the, this pre-vagal theory you talked about. So the vagus nerve has a big part of that in our body. So that's the re- the fight or flight. You know it shuts down systems so we can you know we can we, we can put all our energy into fighting and then you know then it, it, you know obviously it tunes it back up before you you die because you know you, you know, the the, 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 vagal, the vagus nerve could actually sh- stop your heart for a period of time if you if you ever had a vagal response to a an injection people do that all the time they faint and that that's that that's just a vagal response so the bottom line is that frontal cortex now has given us that ability to distinguish what we talked about before, the background from the foreground conversation, and you know, and, and I've learned from the language That's probably the biggest dis- distinction I've I've learned that helped me in my in my career over the years, is to distinguish that because if I reacted to everything that went on in my head and just it came out, it was a big problem. And you know, for me, especially when I was running the global operation, I mean, it was you know, countries all over the world. There was Probably thirty thousand employees in the organization at that time, and a very large budget, and a lot of stuff we were responsible for, and a lot of things happening 24/7. So if I responded to my background conversation or whatever it was, or reacted to everything that came across my desk immediately, it was a, it would be a disaster. So the biggest thing I had to learn, and language learning was helpful for that, was to distinguish those those the background foreground. But mainly, I had to learn how to do nothing. For a period, you know, when I got these, the, you know, the hardest thing. I, that's what I told my successor when I when I retired. The hardest thing you'll have to do in this job is nothing. And, and she looked at me and said, "What do you mean?" I said, "I said, well, you're going to get all this stuff coming across your desk. I mean, like, you know, emails. I get hundreds of emails a day. Some of them be problems. Some of them be issues. Things to react to. What you picked to react to and how you reacted to it was a key. And and a lot of times." Doing nothing was the answer, even though it hurt. You know, I'm not saying that was easy to do because your, you know, your, your internal workings, you know, whatever your background conversation, your values, who knows, what you know, what's driving that. You know, this ego is trying to get you. I got to react and I got to make a decision, but it would only exacerbate the situation and it would only, uh, you know, basically go in the wrong direction. So, the, uh, the the concept of being able to discern or respond. You know, you know, using your frontal cortex, which I think I still have one. I'm getting older. It's probably going. It's probably deteriorating with time. But the the bottom line is that that doing nothing and waiting, I would say ninety percent of the time was the right move. You know, maybe even higher than that.
1: Well, I like what you're saying. You're saying a lot of rich bring up a lot of rich points, particularly regarding as I'm listening to you. Uh, I'm listening to. This difference between reacting and responding. I think that we had to, we had to remember how to react uh, when we were very old, primitive people. We had to remember to react so that we were aware of the saber-toothed tiger or rock to falling off the mountains. We didn't have to respond because we hadn't advanced that kind of neurological part of our our brains. So I think the term response has got a lot to do with how we can put our frontal cortex to work. And that's the ability for which we can respond. We only learnt to react to actually prevent ourselves from getting killed either by rocks falling out the mountain. Now, if you fast forward the clock to the 21st century, we're still uh, in a consideration about how to react and how to respond? Have we got control over our ability to react? Probably not. Have we got control of our ability to respond? Now let's spread that out to Russia and China and United States of America. I'm thinking, okay, what is at the very core of those different societies? Whether you're brought up in Russia, whether you're brought up in China, whether you're brought up in 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 United States, America, what's at the very core of what is probably more important than anything else, which is the word family. So if you're a Russian family, and you're able to understand exactly how to relate to your neighbor, or to your cousin's family, then you're going to be able to have the kind of freedom to express yourself as a family. Because I think the family is at the very core of our ability to recognize who we are. Because who we are as a species is exposed when the family is able to respond amongst that kind of uh, arrangement between cousins and uncles and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters. My example, all of our examples, when we think of our families, are able to provide the substance for which we're able to live our lives on an acceptable, on a non-fear-based situation. Go live in Queens, New York, out in Jackson Heights. I often say to people who haven't had the experience of coming to New York, they've been troubled by conditions that are death defined because they've lived in Syria, they've lived in Afghanistan, they've lived in parts of Africa. I say, instead of listening to your government, if you ever get a chance, come to New York and go to Jackson Heights, Queens, where apparently it is the most diversified place on the planet. And they're not having civil wars just because you grew up in China or grew up in Russia. Now you live in Jackson Heights, Queens. It's a very neighbourly thing. And the content that provides that neighborliness is the family, whether you're Chinese, whether you're Russian, or whether you're American or well, British.
0: Well, what you're talking about is what brings us together, what binds us as a race, as a as a human family. And I think that's often mis, misunderstood or lost in the conversation. The, the thing that I was thinking about when both of you were talking about the cavemen <laughs> was, uh, Today's version of that is wait before you press send. In other words, if you can react by knocking somebody over the head with a club because that's your first initial reaction, we often get very upset and angry and sit behind a screen and, and write this nasty email or text and press send and then regret it. Tony, you're making an excellent point that is just giving yourself a time to pause, to listen, to think about what you're doing, to project. I I had a
2: boss that, you know, Julian knows this from, I won't get into who people are, but for years when we started working together and, you know, I would, he would, he he was, he was, he he was an excellent boss. He was asked a lot of questions, you know, basically helped me grow a lot, but he would, he would upset me by some of the things he'd say. I did not want to use the other terminology, but the bottom line is I would write an email and I would sit it in my inbox or whatever outbox, and I'd, and I'd wait 24 hours. And if I was still and I did this, and if I was still perturbed in 24 hours, I sent it. If I wasn't and I reacted to it, you know, I got it out of my system. I deleted it. And, you know, it's it it, it worked It worked for years. And that, that relationship was a very strong one. But back to that word, I, where I was listening to you about family, and you and I have talked a lot of time about this, uh, Julian, is it relationships and the sense of belonging. Okay. Remember, I remember once you told me one of our very, very early, I don't know if you remember this question, the very early conversations we had years, probably over 20 years ago, you said, what's the most traumatic experience for a human being? Do you remember Do you remember that question? And you remember the answer?
1: I don't remember the answer.
2: Being born, being separated, yeah. being separated from the womb. Yes. So- we don't want to be separated. We want to belong. So this sense of family, sense of belonging, is a very powerful, uh, you know, I guess molecular bond, whatever you want to call it. If you want to talk about chemistry, I mean, it, it, the glue that holds it together, the bonds. And you know, to that to that extent, though, you know, that can go the wrong direction too. If families start taking sides, you know, families as entities can take sides also you know, and, and, and so that's, it's very important to have that root and those relationships, but what you do with it, you know, and, and how, you know, this, this concept of taking sides and or on the opposite of that, taking a stand, you know, to, to, to an extent that could be, you know, my stand is my stand and you can't come near my stand or I want you to be, you know, if you're against my stand, then you're taking sides. But the bottom line is a lot of it has to do with, uh basic relationships and that that was my philosophy throughout all the years of 40 plus years I was with Pfizer and that you know you can do all these other things and and then you and I years ago wrote down my purpose okay the purpose statement which is part of part of the exercise in the language for leading you know my purpose is very simple it's persistently make a positive difference profound positive difference and when I when I looked at the years why I spent that many years there. If, if I was ever in conflict with that purpose, I would have left. So I'm doing things in retirement. I've been retired for almost five years now, still very active. But everything I look at and say yes to needs to be in line with that with that purpose. You know, so the, so the purpose driven relate. And then as a, as a result of that in my purpose is actually relationships. It's, it's one of the sub sub-ele- elements of my purpose. Of having you know these relationships you know there's five or six or seven or nine whatever sub elements and and the bottom line there is it's always served me well to to deal with relationships because at the end of the day you can have a, a big authoritative job you can have whatever but if you don't have the relationships you really can't
1: be a good leader that's right because you said a big word that you and i've talked about a lot which is the word purpose so your purpose, in fact, represents the real you when you're being you, and that has a lot to do with the relationships, because are are we a related species based upon fundamental principles, and therefore things are relatively speaking, aren't they? Now you're a you're a chemical engineer, so when I've had conversations with other people, like astrophysicists, about where we are, where we come from, where we're going. Look at the biggest possible picture, relatively speaking, is we're a ball of iron flying through space somewhere close to the speed of light. And of course, we've created a certain magnetism, haven't we? We've got polars and south polars and the magnetic magnets have had a lot to do with attracting all the other chemicals that actually came on board this big piece of iron. Now, those chemicals were geochemicals, geophysical chemicals, biological chemicals. And of course, uh, we're still a bit of a mystery, aren't we? Because we had a lot of ignorance until probably several thousands of years ago when the ancients showed up, the ancient Greeks and the ancient Egyptians. And of course, many other so-called civilizations follow suit. And we're still learning, aren't we? We're learning many, many things, which is why the language of leading is going to have a, a profound impact on our ability to learn rather than being governed by people saying, I'm your teacher, you better listen to me. So I've done some research with a lot of professors from places like Harvard and Yale. And one of the biggest problems with regarding their current student body is their inability to listen and pay attention. Which I think is kind of exciting, which may lead to a further extension of this conversation and the further podcasting that we're actually building together.
2: Yeah, so we, we didn't solve the China-Russia question, but I think what we what we're saying is it's it's very much the answer is out there. The answer is yet to be determined, you know, and 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 really this whole concept of how people respond to it, as opposed to react to it, how they, you know, use their background, individual background, background conversations. Those in leadership and the majority in leadership uh, is going to be a big part of that. So, yes, I don't, I don't. I guess that's that's kind of where we leave it.
1: Well, thank you, Tony, for all the years we've known each other, and we'll continue to interact regarding where the future lies and what, in fact, is going to be the world's ability to respond, whether you're from Russia, China, America, the British Empire, or whether you're from Taiwan, or whether you're living on a little island on the outpost of the Galapagos Islands. So thank you so much, because you're a very rich-minded person.
2: Thanks for that. I I, I need to live up to that reputation.
0: The conversation continues on the Language for Leading podcast with Julian Sturton, available on all podcast platforms. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review the show, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. The Language for Leading podcast, impactful conversation about fundamental principles that will grow your business and change your life for the better.